Today on the Chavrusa Podcast, a fascinating conversation with my wife, Esty, responding to a question from the mailbag. In addition, there was about 10 minutes worth of voice notes on a fascinating question in regards to the limits of free will and the potential loss of it. But I was recording it outside and I realized there was wind and ended up rendering the entire thing inaudible. Right now it's Oma Shabbos, so we'll have to circle back to this on Mondays, next week's uh, the Chavrusa podcast. In the meantime, here we'll at least put this out and uh, wishing everybody a wonderful Shabbos. So the question that came in this week was, we had mentioned the Hamudia article that front headlined the uh, Shombras. And the question was, the Hamudia apparently isn't the uh, most commonly found newspaper. You gotta know somebody who knows somebody to get your hands of this boutique elite publication. And the question is, what, what was the article about? What were the points? And of course, you should read the whole thing if you can, but if you, you haven't, I think there's really three primary points coming out of the article, and it's really cool because Essie's uh, here. She's also uh, part of the profile, uh, so it'd be cool that we could uh, ro- roll through this and see if we we agree on this. I think the hi y'all. Hey, hey. sup, the <laughs> Harusa. So the first point I would say is. The question was asked in in terms of this interview and prep for the article by the author. The question was asked, how successful were you in in Arizona, our first job in Tucson? And my response was, is that there's a, a move today in society very much to measure success by putting in a number, especially because it's hard to quantify something that is... In, in the knowledge realm, when you're in the world of ideas. So if you publish a book, you could say, well, how many books did I sell? Or if you're in a for-profit business, it's the bottom line, the money. What, what do you do in a space where you're trying out and you're trying to be good, you're trying to have an impact on the world? How do you measure that? And what you don't want to do, and this is what my response was, you don't want to quantify it and, and bring it down to an arbitrary measure. And I think that because what we're doing in, in in Arizona is trying to broaden Torah, that Torah shouldn't just be the heritage of people that were naturally exposed to it, but Torah is the heritage of every single uh, Jew in the world. So then therefore, it's gonna manifest in every person differently. And I think it's easy to see, like when you look at, when you think about your own personal growth, right? We're, we're in the business of personal growth, right? When you look at your own personal growth, you, you understand innately that there is no way to quantify that, right? Maybe after a year or two, you can look back and be like, wow, you know, I've really become a much calmer or patient person or things like that. But, you know, month by month, it's very nearly impossible to quantify. And yet, you know, innately, if you're working on this or not, and sometimes that's that's the pat on the back you have to give yourself. And so when you're in the business of personal growth, and I think, you know, I can say this in, in therapy too, that like to, to, to be able to quantify that for other people is not in our purview. 
Like we can't, I can't tell you which of our students is has grown more than the next. I have no idea what's going on in their inner worlds, right? I can tell you if I pushed myself to provide as many opportunities for them, you know, if I, if I was authentic in giving over Torah to them in, in being a source and a resource for, of exposure for them, right? But I, I can't tell you like what's happening inside someone's neshama, right? Which is, which is really the ultimate, the ultimate work that we're trying to do here, right? So what you're saying like brings me, uh, again, as an example, the first thing that popped into my mind was like, if you want to be a better friend or a better family member, so you don't want to end up measuring that by, well, how many times did I text my grandmother? Or how many times did I call my grandmother? Don't right. text, call, right? Because then it's just, then if you get too caught up about it, so of course you should be more consistent and call more often and text more often and speak more often, but that can't be the goal. Like, oh, well, I called her seven times, so I'm good. Because mm -hmm. that, that's just the, the step there. And right. it's, it, it depends. Well, if you were calling beforehand, if you were visiting her every morning and now you're just calling, that's a step back. So it's all about where, you're, where you started off and where you move to, but in areas that are actually in your, your locus of of struggle because it's, if you're not if you're not struggling you're not growing right and it's also about the quality of the growth that you're taking right so like you're saying what's the purpose of calling your grandmother while that might look, look good on paper that you're calling your grandmother more often you know if you're having a two-minute like check-in conversation as opposed to if you called her less often and had like a quality conversation with her and spent some time you know that's a that's a totally different level of quality and of growth than you know than just checking off the box like oh I made my phone call this week and so it, it might even look like one person is doing more than the other person and legitimately like the at the core of what you're really trying to accomplish the other person might actually be growing more so here's the question that I guess is coming to mind is we live in a society that is very much external in this way I would I would say not to be critical but just to point out reality I think that we measure ourselves compared to how much we're doing externally versus somebody else well I'm close to my family because I do X Y and Z and this person doesn't and this manifests for sure I think in Jewish communities like if you want to measure like oh how dedicated are you it's well what are you doing on that external level like give me the measurements how you know in, in yeshiva would be like how many uh, pages of gemara are you learning how many right. hours are you learning right. um, and it becomes this this um it comes about the the measurement so in in society in general how, what would you do you have any ideas like how how could society, or how could we, as a community, obviously we should start off as individuals. Um, is there, do you have like a reason, a theory as to why it is this way, or? I mean, I think societies run smoothly based on rules, right? Um, I remember when I was in high school, I went to a very small high school, and it was one class per grade, so there were um, 27, 28 girls in my entire grade. Um, and the grade below me was the first year that they actually doubled in size and continued to have um, parallel classes moving forward. 
and that year there was just like so much more rules and regulations and stuff going on in the school and we we brought it up with the principal that like this wasn't the same school that we had started in a year ago and she said you know with with crowds come crowd control like you need these arbitrary measures just to kind of keep structure in place right. but we got to um, make sure that that doesn't become right the end all right so i think it's a very fine balance of having structure having clarity having rules in order to maintain a system um but not not becoming the system right the system is in place in order to flourish but if the system starts stifling or starts focusing on on the rules instead of focusing on what the rules are there to allow to grow that's when you've fallen into a, a negative place this is a, a good sports analogy and this is just remember it is if you're a referee and an umpire, you're enforcing the rules, the one thing you got to make sure about is that the game doesn't become about you. Yeah. Right? Because if the That's game is about you, if the umpire is the, the headline of the sport, mm -hmm. this call, that call, like, then yeah. it became about the rules. Yeah. The rules are there. You need the rules in order to play the game. But right. if the rules become the thing, it's all about the fouls and the offsides and the, the, the penalty. Right. And also, the game yeah. isn't fun then. Right? You're, yeah. not, you're yeah. not getting the value and the, the fulfillment of, of playing the game when it's all about the rules. Um, Cal Newport also writes about this. It's not just in, in personal life, but in businesses. Also, today, so many businesses are focused on just being busy and sending emails and sending messages. And, and even in the knowledge field where people are, are being called upon to use their focus and their faculty, they can't do that because they see the person next to them is shooting off 60 emails a day and mm -hmm. answering thousands of calls at once and being on all these different threads. And that actually detracts from the level of accomplishment in their businesses that if you're able to just focus and you'll pro you'll produce more you won't get caught up in these arbitrary metrics of am i doing x y and z um right. interesting okay second point from the article the second point of the article was the outtake i would say is that when we went in going in yet there's a certain stereotype in the world that you know if you could inspire people you put on a really good uh talk you give an inspiring speech like people will listen to that and you'll be inspired. Like I always had this pipe dream once when I was a kid, I'm gonna be like that public speaker. You get up there and you get everybody fired up and inspired and wow, you're changing lives, right? You're changing the world. And right. or I remember like before we moved to Tucson, listening to like speeches that were designed, like how to answer the 10 hardest questions people have about Judaism. And like, if you had the right answer, like, you were gonna change someone's life. Boom. And, and we realized that speeches don't change lives. You know, inspiration. Inspiration is uh, like showers. I heard this quote. I say showers. Like, yeah, it's great to have a shower, but it doesn't last till tomorrow. You need a shower again. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I, I was inspired once. Right, inspiration is good. It serves a purpose, but that's not the, the primary either. And what's real is what uh, people are attracted to authenticity. People want something real. They don't want your thing that you read, the, the speech, the answer that you memorized to just you know give over that idea. They want to feel real, that it touches them on a, on a real level, that the Torah is real, that the conversation, people are, are being genuine with themselves. And as we're saying, like if you want to actually grow uh, genuinely on the inside, you can't have this like external measurement. But also that means that on a teacher, any any teacher that is going to really um, be effective as an educator is not going to be somebody that just memorizes a, a really good way of teaching it and you know you frame it in a right way. But it's somebody that the heart, the heart, 
is there and, and people can feel as a kid in your house if you just like tell them to be a good person it's not going to get it they have to feel that it's that it's real that it's coming from the heart right i mean um you're, you're bringing up two thoughts here one is i'm just remembering in high school i had these two history teachers i am so not a history person like, I, I just, I'm much more a here and now kind of person. And these two history teachers were so passionate about what they were teaching. And they really, it was like they were in it. They, they told the story of what happened. And those, those two classes, like, I think I learned the most of what I ever learned in high school. Just because they really, not just knew their stuff, but they really believed in their stuff, right? They really had had made it a part of their their way of thinking in life. And so that really came across and um, their teaching was better for it, but also my reception was better for it. Um, and the other, the other piece that I was just thinking, you know, like this is so clear in parenting, how, you know, we have all these things that we want to teach our kids, right? And we want to teach them to behave a certain way and, and respond to each other a certain way and respect people a certain way. And at the end of the day, like the things that come out of our kids' mouths are the things that come out of our mouths. And all the time I, I hear, like Rifka in particular is such a repetitive child, like she really, she really absorbs everything around her and I'll hear her say something and I'm like, that sounds rude. And then I realize like she's copying <laughs> what I said, you know, she's saying, she's saying something that I say to her often. And so the real way that I'm ever going to teach her to be a better person, she's a wonderful person, but the real way that, that those lessons that I really want to come across are ever going to come across is by me doing that work myself. And so I think what we were trying to say in the article is this point of we had this idea that like we were going to come in as teachers and give over like these brilliant ideas and inspire people and what we realized when we met people, um, what we realized was that the only way we were really going to offer people the opportunity to experience Torah was to be authentically experiencing it on our own. As I remember that that story is right before Shabbos and um, we had a, or it was Friday night, it was ready Shabbos and a student asked, shout out Dan there if you're listening, um, <laughs> and a student asked like, what do, do you feel always excited for Shabbos, right? Is, yeah, I get it that Shabbos is like inspiring. And we were talking about like maybe one of these really lofty, deep Torahs about Shabbos. It's like, well, do you feel that every single week? Right. And like your instinct is to say like, yeah, of course, Shabbos is so special. It's the most important part of the week. And like share all these deep thoughts about Shabbos. But what did, did we answer? Right. That was the first thing we wanted to say. And then when you think about it, like for me, some weeks it's amazing and it's like, oh, thank, thank God it's Shabbos, TGIS. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's really uh, a big event is going on Friday night, maybe a big, uh, uh, I don't know, sporting event or IPA release or I don't know, whatever's <laughs> happening in your life that it's hard and you're middle of doing something and you're on, you have three different things that you're taking care of and it's stressful or you're, a business deal is going down and you know, you don't know what's going to happen. It's not, it's not always so great, but what we told him was, Xander, is that every single time without fail, at the end of Shabbos, when you look back and you say, wow, this was amazing. Right, in the end, I appreciate that I took that break. In the end, I appreciate that I kept Shabbos this week again. And then it becomes real, then it becomes, you know, for, for a person listening, I would imagine, then it's not like, oh, this, this version of 
wow, it's amazing and everything. Yeah, what do you mean? Shabbos is great. And I think many, many people, if you would ask them this, many observant Shabbat observers, they would say like, yeah, Shabbos is the most amazing things. You should do it. It's great. It's things You got to do it. And, then, and like, some answer that because that's their experience. No. But I think you can really, you know, we, we know when we're being real with each other and we know when we're not. Um, and, and I think that by also by, by answering authentically, by giving people the opportunity to hear your process, you're teaching them how to have a process, you know? So it's interesting. Ooh, I, was, I was talking to someone today, this morning, about um, she was saying how she discussed the elections with her teenage kids. They had done like a mock election in school and she asked her son, like, how did you choose who to elect? Not just who did you elect, not just why did you elect that person, but how, ha, but yeah, why you elect that person? Like, why did you choose this person? And went through that process with Teach him. Teach the process, Teach not the just process. ideas. So Ooh. she's like, you know, right now he's voting for who I'm a voting for, but like he's gonna grow up, and I want him to be able to learn, know how to learn about what to do. And so I think that when we, when we're honest about our religious process, our observant process, our spiritual process then we give other people kind of like that insider's view of okay like i can think about this and apply it to my personal life and that kind of also comes back to that first point that we were saying that growth looks so different on every person which is why you can't you can't like teach someone how to grow right so you know? unless you're teaching at surface level then everybody it's all the same you teach right. the same idea to every single person every single person in your mind it's a, it's a one-stop shop it's a one answer to everything right that you you must do this and this and if, if you're giving the same advice to every single person <laughs> people have such diverse backgrounds and different points and everybody has different struggles and one struggle for the next person is, is a breeze for the next so that's a good litmus test for you as an educator. Are you giving the similar advice though, uh, consistently? Maybe that's uh, and in itself is something. You reminded me of uh, Bainish Finkel, who's one of the Rosh Hashivas back in the mirror, one of my uh, alma maters in, in Jerusalem. He would teach his kids. Every single time they would say something, he would say, Mehechatesi, from where do you know this? How do you know this? Where do you know this? And what he was, he was doing is, is making sure that they're not just saying something that they heard, something that they learned, something that he taught them, but that he had a process in thinking of it. And that way, when they're out in the world, they could, there's so much information now in the world. Anybody could access any information. So a teacher's job is not to give over information. You've got to give over the wisdom that now mm -hmm. I could go and apply it in my own life. And that's, right. that's oral Torah. That is the, the essence of, of a Torah Jew. Uh, why people go to yeshiva and you're learning, you're not just learning information, because you get the information, stay at home, and then and, and just uh, Google it, or, or text me, 347-893-4467. But that's not the point, meaning a good a good uh, rabbi, a good rabbitson, will be able to answer a question with a question, right? Not just to answer the question head on, but to walk the student through the process that the student is now able to go and apply the answer to themselves. It won't be a direct answer of me or Stern, my Rosh Hashiva, I, I I can't remember a time where he gave like a direct answer. When you asked a question, he always went deeper. And he said, "Well, hey, I'll ask you even further and get get you thinking." And it's like, "Whoa! I thought I had a good question, but now this is like opening a whole new horizon." Like I was asking about this aspect on Shabbos, and then he's asking, "Well, what is the whole concept of Shabbos?" And then you're forced to go deeper, and you're forced to then come out with a principle that you could go and manifest in different areas in your life. And the third outtake for me was. Interesting that because the the article initially was born out of 
uh, featuring the Chavrusa podcast, which had just begun, and then it's quickly transitioned to the Shomer's moving to Tucson and why they would move there. The editors felt that the human interest angle for their readers would be why would a couple move from a neighborhood, an incredible Torah infrastructure like Lakewood, to go to a place like Tucson. And for us, it was it was a very powerful shift, a paradigm shift in our lives because throughout my entire life, it was always, what's the best place for me to be, right? What's best for me? Which yeshiva is best for me? Which camp in the summer to go to? Which book to buy? Which uh, friends to have? Who to marry? Everything is, is being built on what is best for me. And at a certain point in, in the maturation process of a human, is to shift and say not just what is best for me, but where can I be my best? Where can I give over my best? Right, and I think there is a time in your life, on a place in your life, where you do need to focus on what's best for me. That's how you become a grown adult who can shift, who can turn over and say, okay, now that I have built myself up, now that I have a clear understanding of who I am and what my strengths are and what I can contribute to this world, now let's turn around and say, where can I contribute the most in this world? The, uh, the irony is, or the paradox is, is that we thought that we had built ourselves up and now we're going to go out and be our best. But really, that became the best for us because we uh, grew so much as people just like internalizing Torah and internalizing uh, ourselves, becoming more authentic, becoming more genuine, sometimes maybe removing yourself from an atmosphere that's familiar where everything is just going as, as normal en route mm-hmm. um, to take yourself out of that space and to be able to critically analyze like what do you believe in, where does it come from, where does it stem from, you end up growing yourself. So. Yeah. It, it, it all comes back. Right. It ended up it ended up working in both directions that we really, like we felt like we were accomplishing things there and being able to give of ourselves in a way that we never would have been able to anywhere else. Um, and at the same time, like I think those were just the most growthful years of my life. Hi, Maishi. It's Bobby. Uh, I finished listening to your podcast this morning. It was excellent as usual. And I'm like so glad we're on the same page with practically everything. Uh, This Peter Santanello is wonderful. I have been watching every one of his um, YouTube uh, things on the Hasidim. And I'm so excited because I hear Sunday he's going to have like a like an open forum about, you know, his whole experience. So I'll be watching that. And also, I love that you mentioned that article in the Wall Street Journal with the uh, Republican congressman from, I think it was Georgia, right? Where he was, or Texas maybe, where he stopped uh, with the, you know, all the the YouTubes and all the whatever, whatever, <laughs> and just to, to, to take after the Jews with the Sabbath. I love that article. It was great. And also, uh, yeah, everything you said just made so much sense. And I was laughing when you who were describing the uh, caffeinated chipmunk that's been like running around like a Michigana just to look busy. It reminded me of myself, <laughs> especially here in Florida, because I'm bored out of my mind. So to try to keep busy, I'm, I'm just like running back and forth every day. First, you get a coffee, then you come home, then you go shopping, you get a cucumber, you know, <laughs> like busyness, you know, and uh, just to keep like myself from going crazy. But your podcast is the highlight of my every morning while I walk out and then I went um, to the ocean this morning to try to see the sunrise, but it was very cloudy. So I dived at the beach, it was really beautiful. 
And uh, I just love, I love the comments from your students. They're so intelligent and everything they say is so beautifully said. And by the way, your vocabulary is amazing. And like she said, I forgot her name. She said, even when you pause and you don't know exactly how to pronounce it, it's, it's so real, you know, cause like we're all, we're always also stumbling over words that we don't know exactly how to pronounce and it makes it very touching and uh, wonderful. And, uh, and that's it. And I'm glad that, you know, you're getting the responses. I know that people must be listening and not, even if they don't respond, they're probably enjoying it as I am. And I'm telling everybody about you. So I hope your ears aren't ringing. But anyway, have a good Shabbos. And um, I'll be listening again. after Shabbos. Take care. Bye-bye. The rest of the audio is compromised by wind, so we'll repost it on Monday. Shabbat shalom, good Shabbos, good Shabbos.